Ephesians is a, is a very unique book, and yet at the same time, it's a book that is uh, not only timeless, but also the truths of it are sometimes not elsewhere found. Chapter 1, we found out that by reading what Paul had told the Ephesians is that uh, they had been selected from the beginning before creation to have all the riches in Christ. As a believer, we, we have all the riches in Christ, and, and God did that. He decided that a long time ago, and that he would make that uh, available to us. And in chapter 2, we found out that uh, amongst other things is that there was Jew and there were Gentile, and, and Jews and Gentiles, even though they're very, very different, and, and they literally would hate each other. The Jews had a disdain for the Gentile, and, and, and obviously, as a, if you're not Jewish, you were a Gentile by default. So um, if, you are, if you are here this morning and you're Jewish, you're probably in the minority. Most of us here are Gentiles. And if you had lived back in the time of Paul, you would have sensed that the Jews hated you with, with a great amount of, of hatred and anger and sort of like, we don't have anything to do with you because you are less than us. And chapter 2 talked about how God, Christ has united and there is no longer a barrier, a wall of hostility between the two. Well, we have a little video here. I'm just going to have you to, to watch a little bit about and, and uh, just to see that wall of hostility and how it can be so very destructive. No, children, the bush pig has lost his parents, so it has been cared for by mama and papa lion. Even in nature, there are blended families. That's nice. Oh. So I may have misread that situation. Yeah. It was on the line. <laughs> but it's about blended families. And it really is. A, there's, a, there's a truth. I, I thought about some of them. I was just thinking of cartoons, because how, how can you lighten the subject? I was thinking of Tarzan was taken in by the apes and Kerchak and all that. I thought, that's a kind of a neat story too. And you think through all the different cartoons and everything, but you realize that when you take two things that are very, very different, there's going to be some fighting. Even Kerchak and Tarzan went round and round and round, and you realize that's just a cartoon. Now you take human beings with their own wills and their own sense of identity, and you put them together in one place, and you realize, wow, how did God take the hostility out between Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free men, people who have a completely different background all of a sudden are in one. Well, that's a lot about, a lot of what Ephesians 3 is about and more. But before we do that, let me just read this. Three preachers... Okay, here we are. Three preachers were on a non-productive fishing trip when they began to discuss various topics to pass the time. One preacher said that he thought it would be nice if they, con if they confessed their biggest sins to each other and then prayed for each other. So that sounds pretty good, that you'd confess and pray for each other. James tells us to do that. They all agreed, and then the first preacher said that his biggest sin was that he liked to sit at, at, at the beach now and then and watch the pretty women stroll by. 
The second preacher confessed that his biggest sin was that he went to, to the horse racing track every so often and put a small bet on his favorite horse. Turning to the third preacher, they asked, Brother, what is your biggest sin? With a grin, he said, My biggest sin is gossiping. <laughs> Some secrets are not meant to be out there. There are, there are mysteries we're not supposed to be aware of. As we look at Ephesians 3, and we are blowing through Ephesians, and you realize that this, you're going to have, you, you know where the book is in your book, and your, in your big book, and you know how to read it. And, and so if you miss some things, it's just part of the, it's part of the rate that we're going through. So let me, let me go through Ephesians 3. I want you to see just how Ephesians 1, our riches in Christ, selected from the beginnings of the earth, Two, that there are two, Gentile and, and Jew, and the wall of hostility, and then Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations that has been, now been revealed by the Holy Spirit's, Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are, are, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, giving me through, giving me through the workings of his power, Although I am less than least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be, known, be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord." In him and through him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from the, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations." forever and ever. Amen. And as Paul goes through and he explains this, this mystery to us, and some things aren't supposed to be revealed on certain times and places, uh, almost a dispensation in that way, we recognize that Ephesians 3 is the sandwich between what Paul teaches the people in Ephesus, but not only that, because it was a circular letter, it was to be read by all the churches. It wasn't addressed to specific people. You see that very characteristic of, of his letters when he's writing to the Corinthians. 
He's addressing their issues. You got problems, I'm going to name you out. Here it's a general letter, and it's true for us today as well as it was true for them at that time. And so Ephesians 1 through 3 are, are who we are in Christ, our position in Christ. Ephesians 4 next week, 5 and 6, is our practice in Christ. Now that we know who we are, okay, you're the quarterback, so guess what your job is? You already know that because now you know your position. Now you know your position, now you know what your function is, how that plays out in your everyday life, how it works out in your marriage, how it works out in your employee-employer relationship with your kids. How does that work out in your marriage? How does that work out? Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 has come. Ephesians 3 is the sandwich between those two as we look at what God has for us as he displays his, his glory and his wisdom. A prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul describes himself as a prisoner, but he was a prisoner because of the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about you, but in some ways, personally, you and I, if we're Gentiles, the reason why Paul was in prison was because of his stance with the Gentiles. Because he took, and we, in our track through Acts, which was really, really necessary because it gives us the basis for all this, we see that he is, the reason why he actually was incarcerated from the very beginning of the time that he was in prison and spent two years, and they just basically kind of held him there, and they eventually got to Rome and was held in house arrest. The reason why he was really there was his stance and his position on the fact that Gentiles could become children of God. That's the, the sum total of what it was. If Paul would have said, no, they can't be, he would have never been in prison because the people who wanted him in prison were against one thing, and that is the hostility that you see between Jew and Gentile was what brought Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, into captivity. And Paul's perspective on this was this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And he basically just says, boy, I, this administration, he's a steward. He, he, he has this thing that has been given to him, and he has to deliver it to the world. Because God had this conversation very unique to Paul, and it was on the road to what? Damascus. In that conversation, we get, we get a little bit of a perspective on that in the subsequent conversations. But in the end, what we learn from it is, is that I'm going to do a brand new thing, Paul. And you're going to be a key component of being the servant, the steward of this message and this administration of God's grace that would be given to everyone. And so he was a prisoner, but yet at the same time, he understood he was a prisoner because of the Gentiles on behalf of that. And that motivated him because he knew why he was there. It wasn't because of some sort of a, a, a mishap. It was because he stood for what God had told him to stand for. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, it says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach the gospel. He didn't have a choice. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Have you ever felt like that before? Woe to me if I do not. You're a mom, and you don't feel like that sometimes. You probably just haven't got in touch with your, your feelings. When someone wakes up in the middle of the night, or when you feel like, oh, there's something going on, and I need to be there. And it, dads as well, woe to me if I don't do that. There's a sense in which you have ownership of those little beings, and they can't help themselves. And you realize, wow, that is a powerful thing, that Paul had ownership. He had a partnership with Christ in this message that was so important. 1 Corinthians 4.12, we work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. He just, he, what he's just basically saying is, is, 
we're working hard for what God wants us to do. And not taking, the, not taking the credit for it, but really saying, it's hard work, and woe to me if I don't do this, because it's the reason why I'm here. It's why I'm still on the earth. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And what is the mystery of Christ? What is the mystery of Christ? That is true, that he died and rose again. And some people don't really get that because that is the one thing that keeps them from a relationship with the, with the creator God. They don't understand that, that God has already taken down this, this barrier. There is a way for us to have a relationship with this in that way. But what is the mystery that Paul, that Paul he is, whoa if, I, whoa, if I don't accomplish this, whoa, if I don't take on this task. What is Paul's mystery? What's that? Gentiles. Great. Salvation of Gentiles. That's a brand new thing. If you would have said the salvation, that, that God is doing a brand new thing in that day and that he is saving Gentiles, guess what you'd end up doing? You'd start a fight. You'd have a council of Trent. You'd have a, you'd have a bunch of things going on, and that's exactly what happened. And so there's a mystery that's there. Romans 16 says this, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of my mystery, hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes by faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's a mystery from ages past because what? Ah, that's why you're here this morning. Some of you are like, I know the answer, but I'm not going to raise my hand, and I don't really want a Snickers. But it's important that we know the mystery because we have been given the same stewardship that Paul has. Woe to us if we don't take what has been given to us and then do what we're told to do with it. Woe to me. That's, that's, that's our ownership in this much like Paul. Ephesians 2 just talks about the fact that we were once separated from Christ. We were, as Gentiles, we had no connection with him. We had no, no inheritance. We weren't Jewish. We didn't have the prophets. We didn't have promises. None of that was available to us. It's kind of like there's this great thing going on, but you don't have anything to do with it because you're not related or you're not a part of that. At one time, that's where we were as Gentiles. And you realize, wow, to be apart from Christ is to be apart from God because there's no redemption, there's no redemption for someone who, who doesn't know about Christ. And that's, that's our task. Um, on the Friday morning Bible study this week, it's just, it always hits you as you're thinking about things through, but we just talked about this, the fall in the garden and how that happened and the sin, and you're just realizing, wow, they just disobeyed God and, and how that created a separation. And, and they had to leave the garden, and, and then God guarded that for a good, very good reason. And you realize that that separation was this beginning of this process by which you and I no longer had connection with God. Before that time, they walked in the garden with God. They had fellowship with God. It was heavenly, literally heavenly. And realizing that when, when in the eternity past, God had predestined us to have these glorious riches, knowing ahead of time that he would not be able to depend on our obedience and our ability to fulfill all these laws, knowing that we would walk right out of the garden, each one of us, 
All of us have done that in our own little way. We have all sinned. And at the same time, God has had a plan of redemption in place from the very beginning. And it was a mystery. And it's glorious. And it's even bigger than you think. And it's what God has for us to recognize as who we are in Christ. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Because that will determine 4, 5, and 6, how we live it out. What we know about us and our role, and as we understand more and more of that role, and if I ask you what the mystery of, of, the, of Paul's mystery is and you have a question mark in your head, then that tells me this. You don't completely know what maybe your position is because each one of you in Christ is just like anyone in Christ. We are a body who has a role, and it's very, very, very important. It's really important. The mystery of the church, which was, made, was not made known to people in other generations as has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are, are heirs together with Israel, members together for, of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And what that means is, is that we are in one body. We are shares of all of the blessings of Israel, we are together. Anything that they have as an, as an inheritance, we have as an inheritance. That would have blown any Gentile at that point in time. They, they were, remember the ones, even the dogs eat the scraps from the table? Remember that story that Jesus was talking about? And he goes, woman, your faith is, is going to heal. And he, realizing that she was a Gentile and had no, she had no right to expect anything from the Savior. And now God is saying, oh, no. I have a new thing going on here, and it's a mystery. And guess what? You are co-heirs. You Jews and Gentiles are co-heirs. Never before revealed at that point in time. When you have a secret, whether it's a secret about two other pastors that you just die to share, or whatever the secret is, one of the things that we have such a hard time doing is what? Not sharing the secret, right? Well, this one was meant to be shared. And the secret is not even revealed yet. The secret is even bigger than that. But recognize that our duty is to share the secret. Paul goes on, Ephesians 3, 7. This is where he is the apostle to the Gentiles, but not just to the Gentiles as he reveals his mystery, but more than that. I became a servant. And that servant, that word diakonos means He's the one who cleans the toilets as well as the one who is doing every other kind of odd thing. It is truly a, a statement of humility to use the words he used. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, giving me, given me through the working of his power. In 1 Corinthians, he says, by, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in with me. He's saying, I was working as hard as I possibly can, but truly the grace of God was working in front of me. There's no way he could do what he did, go as long as he did, face the opposition he did without that inner working. Colossians 1.29, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so he was just very, he was straightforward saying, you know what? I admit the strength that I have is not because of my own. It's because of Christ working inside of me. And Paul's humility is really clear. He says, although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people. Why would Paul say that? I'm less than all, I'm the, I'm, I'm less than all of God's people. Why would he say that? I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Why? Huh? 
Humility, who threw there his voice. There it is, Jacob, way back there. Humility, absolute sense of humility. It wasn't a fake sense. Watch out, Troy. Oh, there's a bounce. Okay. There wasn't a fake sense of humility. It was a sense that truly he had been redeemed. On the road to Damascus, he should have what? He snuffed him out. Paul should have been dead. He was doing what? What was he doing on the road to Damascus? He was going to murder some Christians. And Paul always recognized his list of sins, and he realized, boy, I just recognize my sin, you recognize your sin, and when we get done, each of us should conclude that I am the least of all of those who are in Christ's body because of the fact that that sin was the same thing that Adam and Eve did, and it was a separation that keeps us from having a relationship with him. He had that sense of humility that was very, very clear. Whoops, one less. So he goes on in verse 9, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. And those two things that Paul felt really, really, that his, his mission was, was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that was Ephesians 1, about the fact that we, have, we are heirs and we have all the riches of Christ because of who we're connected to. We're a part of his body but also to make clear the dispensing of the mystery. This was Paul's message. You are rich in Christ, and guess what? There's a mystery you have got to share. And if you don't even know what that mystery is, boy, you have got to get that into your mindset of what this is all about, what God did. It's not just about you. It's bigger than you. His his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. How many of you remember in Ephesians 6 how it talks about principalities and it talks about shields and swords and spiritual things? You guys remember that? Okay, and it's all, our our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood, it's about what? Principalities and spiritual powers. And guess what it says right here? It says, his intent was that now through the church, that would be us, that would be People down here, people in the balcony, people all across the universe. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's that saying? That the manifold wisdom of God had never, ever been known by the rulers and the powers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Never before was that true. You can read through the Old Testament all you want to, and all you will find is little hints and sort of nuances to the fact that God was going to do something. But the actual idea that you and I and the Jews would be the church and that we would display his wisdom was never found ever before. The idea of the church is not found. And you ask yourself, wow, that's really crazy. But it's not. God's purposes, verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus for our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. What did Satan know when Christ was on the earth? What did he know? What did he know about God's plan of redemption? What did he know about Gentiles? Ah, okay. 
Okay. The rulers and authority in the heavenly realms, this, this is used many, many times. It's talking about the angelic world, whether you're a good angel or a bad angel, which pretty much covers everything. And they were not, they were not given this enlightenment that there would be a church made up of Jew and Gentile, and that that church would actually display God's glory, and that that church would help those, those people, whether they're, whether they're an angel or whether they're demonic, that they would have a new, like a brand new perspective on the fact that God's redemptive plan when Adam and Eve left the garden would be, include the church that God would use the church in a unique way. They knew that Abraham was God's man and that his nation and the Jews, and he, they knew that there'd be a savior that came from them, but no resemblance of the fact that God actually was gonna use the church. It was the mystery that displayed his wisdom. God was so wise because if the devil would have known that, it would have changed everything. If you know more, and you're, if you put yourself into a coaching position, I heard Minnesota Vikings, okay, so there's a rivalries here and all that, and if you, you know, the purple haze or whatever it is. Okay, so if you're the coach on the opposing side, and you know some, someone's weakness, or you know kind of how this team plays, what are you going to do? You're going to try to what? Well, that's true, but you're going to do what? And you're going to exploit it. You're going to exploit that. God's wisdom is displayed in the fact that even though all of that stuff seemed to be known, he had an ace in the pocket. He had a mystery, a secret, that he would reveal in a certain time and a certain place. And we're a part of that mystery. The, the, the church, we as a church, the universal church of Christ, is an agent of revelation in this mystery and we were brought together in church, meaning Jew and Gentile, in order to make God's wisdom known to even to the angels. They longed to look into these things. Quote, wow, they didn't even know it. You talk to the angels, like, man, we have never heard of the church. What's the church? What do you mean you're going to take Jew and Gentile and put them together? And then they're going to be this, this agent on, the, on planet Earth? MacArthur said this. John MacArthur said this. That... He said that the universe is the classroom and that God is the teacher and the students are the angels, good and bad. The church is the illustration and wisdom is the lesson. It's a brand new thing and God is using the universe as a classroom to teach angels and demons that this was my plan all along, and it's a glorious plan, and it's to display God's wisdom. Sometimes you think, man, how did God know all that stuff? That's exactly what we're, what we're on display for. Wow, how could he do that? How could he bring people together? Well, if you took a savior and you united him that way, and there was one common belief that Christ alone is the, is the glue between them, you realize, oh, that is that is the glory of God and the mystery of the church. And we realize that God has done this for his purposes. And that purpose, the purpose is for his glory and for the fact that he is uh, displaying his wisdom in all of that. Some people will say this, that, the, that in creation we see God's power. And at Calvary we see God's love. But in the church we see God's wisdom. And wisdom is something we just think about, but it is what God has given us as a task to
to display. We are on display. Remember in Hebrews 11, this cloud of witnesses that was talked about? And, and one, of the, one of the things that people start thinking about is, oh, it must be my grandpa who came, went before me, and he's a, he's a Christian. Or it's Paul, and they're watching us. And, I, and it's very clear that that's not true. That's not the, their cloud of witnesses, meaning that they are actually witnesses as an example to us to be faithful even when it's tough. And that was what that whole thing was about. But there is someone who's watching the church right now. And who is it? True. But more than that, who's watching the church right now? Unbelievers and angels. And they're looking at us like, wow. Paul said, do you not know that you will judge in heaven, I don't know how this works, but in some way we are so, in God's frame of his, how he has put things, the wisdom of the church is just amazing to angels. There's like, wow, that blew our mind. We're just watching how this works out. Wow, here's what he's doing here. Here's what he's doing here. So yeah, not only are unbelievers watching the church, and boy, how powerful that is. Because after a while they go, oh, you're different. But also, angels are watching the church and it never, ever, ever has it entered their mind that the church was going to be how God was going to do things. I'm going to come back to that. Remember this. We're not talking about this right now, okay? And there's a good reason why. But it's, these are just verses that talk about the fact that angels are spectators of the church. First one is, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And I know that, that makes no sense to what you know right now, but in chapter 5, it'll make a lot of sense, and it'll be really, really neat to see that. 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. In 1 Timothy, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism because the angels are actually watching the church. Unbelievable. And you're thinking, oh, the angels, they're watching us in just awe, like, God, you did this. You, you are doing this. Ephesians 3.13, Paul's perspective, he's in prison, he's under house arrest, he's writing the book of Ephesians and Philemon and Philippians, he's got these books, these Colossians, he's writing them out, and as he's sitting in prison, what's his perspective? Is it, oh man, I'm stuck in prison, what a bum deal. Serve God and here's where I ended up. Not at all. He writes to the people who he wants to encourage and here's what he says, I ask you, therefore, because of all the things I've just said, do you know that from verse 1 through 13, it's one sentence? In Ephesians 1, there's a big, long sentence at the very beginning. It's about 15 verses. And here, Paul, in his grammatical way of doing things, he writes for 13 verses. And verse 1 is his first thought on things, and he's going to start praying. And then verse 2 through 12 is just this whole interlude about the mystery of the church that we've been kind of talking about right now. In verse 13, he continues this prayer. So we're just kind of following off of verse 1 as he explains to them what it is. And so the therefore that's there was therefore because of the previous things he just said. Not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Wow. Paul just says, he does not have a bad attitude about this at all. This is all for your glory. And anything Paul could do and anything that Paul had to endure would be small in comparison to the glory that he would see them actually take on because of his sufferings. This allowed them to do this and to, to reach these people. 
And so we we need to be encouraged to see others when they come to understand the unsearchable riches of Christ, when they come into a relationship with Christ, that that is more important than anything else, that there is a sense in which God uses us in a way as his his people to, to be his hands and feet. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul breaks into prayer. This is the prayer that's between who you are in Christ and who, what, your, what your role is in Christ. It's, a, it's the prayer between chapters 1, 2, and 3 and chapters 4, 5, and 6. And Paul says, who you are in Christ. Now who you know, how you know who you are in Christ, now I'm going to pray for your power, dunamis. I'm going to pray for your power so that you can live that out, who you are, in what you do. And so he prays, this is his prayer for them, as he He takes this position and just notice this posture. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Can you imagine him writing Ephesians and he's just kneeling? And he's he's kneeling and he's probably kneeling and writing. I I don't know exactly how you, that's how it works. And he's, he's, he's actually writing him from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name. He's saying there's no division. The church is a mystery. There is no division whatsoever. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Not just your outer being, the flesh, but in your inner being through the Holy Spirit, that he would strengthen you, that you would live out who you are in what you do. He's, it's the power that he's praying for, for these Christians, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So those of you who are married, I want you to think of a time when you're just like, you were just filled with love for that person that God gave you as a gift. And you can just feel that. And you can just go, wow, there is, that would never felt closer to that person than, maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, because maybe it was ever, whatever it was. Imagine that love and then just multiply it by an infinite number. Paul's praying that they would feel the love and the fullness of Christ as they understand who they are. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, because we can't understand it, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, And then he goes on, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. When you pray, in general, just characteristically, what are your expectations when you pray? What are you, are you, when you pray, do you actually just kind of pray and go, I hope God does that. Is that how you pray? I have to admit, sometimes I'm like, boy, I don't know how he's going to do this. And I was just like, wow, God, here it is. But I think this is, this is it. And obviously, it's, we pray according to his, his will. And some of the prayers sometimes we, that we pray are just, Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to reconcile this relationship or how you're going to f- fix this situation between these people or you, maybe it's family or some brothers and sisters that you're praying for. But you realize that when we pray, we, we are praying to a God who has no limitations whatsoever. And because of the no limitations, he, we, we have to be faithful in prayer. The message says it this way. God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. 
his spirit deeply and gently within us. And so when we pray, we pray to him as Paul's on his knees. He's praying that, that, he, that God will use these people the way that he intended them to be used and that he would entrust them to it because it all depends on, on God's glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When you pray this week, pray as if the God of the universe who had all the wisdom in the world to actually unite these two very hateful peoples and, and he would be able to unite them into a common mystery called the church. And that's why I, I, I was just, I almost snickered. I was thinking this last night and I don't know why it took me that long to hit me, but I was like, wow, got these two, they, they just don't get along. They're so different. Jews and Gentiles are just like, left and right. They're just totally different. And then you see in some marriages, okay, I'm just going to go there, okay? In some marriages, there are wives and husbands that are what? Very different. They're opposites. And you're like, man, how is he going to do that? And the picture of the church is demonstrated most accurately by what? Marriage. Wow. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, and he just realized, wow, God, you, you do a miracle every single day. Every single time you unite people, and you realize that it's for his glory and for his purposes, and it's good that they're different. Amen? Oh, yes, absolutely. And so when you take different people, and you unite them in a church, and you take all of their different strengths and weaknesses, and you put them together, you get something that's what? Even better. Even better. God's wisdom. The mystery of the church. The mystery is this, that you and I are the same as the Jews. There's no difference in our inheritance. We have the exact same things to look forward to and that we are in display not only to unbelievers, but even the angels are watching us and going, I would have never thought of that. God, you opened up this package and it was just like, whoa. And just realize that every time someone comes to Christ, it's like we've been adopted into his glorious family called the church. It's a mystery. And if you ever talk to someone who's been adopted or who was in foster care, you realize that they just want to be loved. They want, they want someone to belong to. And that's the church. And that's our role is to bring as many as possible in to his glory because it's why we're here. And everything else that we can do as we give him glory and live our lives to bring, bring God to the forefront of everyone's minds is just our normal service, like Paul said. I do this not because of me, but because of your benefit. We're going to watch a quick video here of someone being, that someone gets adopted, but it's not really, it's the person who's being adopted who requests to be adopted. Do you remember when you said to Christ, take me, please take me, just Accept me, even though you come with your bag of all your stuff and your sins and, and, and you realize the unholiness and you've got a list of sins that's this long and you're like, I don't know how you're going to take me, but, but you've wooed me so far. So let's watch this video. Start the mix with a really heartwarming story. You have this young lady who was really raised by man her entire life, and she was giving him a gift there, and it involved like a onesie, and she had a letter on top. Let's take the sound and you can see what else she decided to give him. I want you to know that you're the most amazing man I have ever met. 
Well, it said dad first. <laughs> you raised me my whole life. Wow, it's... <laughs> it's what? No, now we can't stand this. No, no, it's um, it's a petition for adoption. She... Wow. She gave him a, an application for to adopt her. That's so sweet. Because he's done so much for her, even turning her hair into Princess Leia <laughs> as a kid and taking her to some grunge concerts. Isn't that neat? That we would not have to petition God to adopt us at all. And that we would come to him and he would say to us, I have been waiting for you since before the what? Foundations of the earth were ever, ever laid. And there was an adoption plan all the time. But at the same time, we have to come to him and we have to say, I admit I'm a sinner. I, I believe that your son did die on the cross and I choose to follow you. I choose to become your kid. I, here's the papers. Please sign them. And so as we recognize how important that adoption is, we also recognize that God has made it completely, completely free. And what a powerful thing that is. Just some applications to think about. I want you to prayerfully think about. Be prayerful about the privilege. You've been given and I've been given. We have this message that the whole world needs to know. Your friends, your family, the people you know and the people who maybe God will bring into your world that you would pray about who you might share his gospel, this mystery, all the riches in Christ, but also your story of how God brought you to that point where you held out the adoption papers and you said, let me in. Please let me be a part of your family. And that how you are a part of the church that is on display, demonstrating God's wisdom and love and how that changes how I live. Like, oh, wow, really? Because I never really thought of myself as doing that. When someone tells you, a teacher or a coach says, you're good and you're good at this, guess what that, what, what that does to you? It motivates you to be who you were told you are. And God has said, you are on display and how truly rich you are in Christ. And that, that truth would change the way that we live and the way that we prioritize our lives. Let's close in prayer before we have communion and uh, have Dawson baptized. Father, thank you so much for your glorious riches. We don't deserve them at all. We left you. We sinned. And even though our lists of sins are long and, and probably grievous to you, you have wooed us to the point. If we are in Christ with you, that we have a relationship with you because of the fact that your son has paid the price for our sins. Thank you so much that not only did you save us from our sins, but you saved us to be used. And like Paul, we too are part of this mystery that you call the church. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, female, male, employer, employee, whatever we are, we are one in you, one in Christ, that we have a a mission here on earth, and it's to give you glory, and it's also to reveal your wisdom, reveal your wisdom to a world that needs to know who you are. Father, I, we just want to proclaim that you do show your power through creation, your love through Calvary, and your wisdom in the church. Help us to be the church that would display you in a glorious way, that we would be the, the church, this universal church in Christ, that would bring glory to you on earth that other people would look and they would want to be a part of it as well. We pray that you would bring those people who we have in our minds right now, 
maybe their family members, maybe their friends, that you would bring them to you. And we pray that we'd be, we would be faithful, faithful like Paul, to do whatever it takes to be used by you through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would indwell us, and that through that Holy Spirit, your Spirit would also affect those people who we, who we know and who we love. And we pray this in, in your Son's name who died for us. Amen.